Hi, Sarah. Hi, friend. <laughs> we are very excited today. We are going to have a special guest. Yeah, we've got Julie Moody Freeman with us, um, who is the host of the Black Romance Podcast, which is very new. It's like yeah. shiny. It's so new. <laughs> we are, um, yeah. I feel like we're very tarnished. <laughs> I know. We get more and more tarnished every week. That's fine. You know what's really great is so we're we're about to interview her. You're going to hear our interview with her. And she talks about she is essentially doing um, interviews that are almost more like oral history. I really enjoy reading oral histories. And we can maybe I can talk about a couple that I really liked. Um, but I, it's such a gift to like hear the stories of these amazing women who really were there at the beginning of romance in the mm -hmm. 80s and 90s. It's just fascinating for us, but I think it's just going to be such a gift to people in the future who are going to be able to hear the voices of these women. There is such a real sense of us needing to do this while we still have time to do it. Mm -hmm. As we are recording, there are four episodes out, um, but when this podcast airs, there will be another one or two. Um, and I just think that the four that are out, which are Sandra Kitt, Brenda Jackson, Beverly Jenkins, and Vivian Stevens, I mean, just four names that everybody in romance knows. And it's so amazing that Julie is just marking time, like marking this time. For so many of us, romance is like a solitary journey, or it was. And now in the age of the internet with social media and podcasts, it doesn't have to be. It like it was great talking to Julie, who loves romance as much as we do, but also just like hearing about what she's trying to accomplish and is accomplishing. I think it's just going to be an amazing resource, but also just like a great. I love just listening to people's stories. So that said, um, here we go. We're gonna let we're gonna dive right in, and uh, please don't forget as you listen. Um, to subscribe to the Black Romance Podcast. We'll put links in show notes. Julie Moody Freeman, the host of the new Black Romance Podcast. Um, I just told her we're so excited that she's she's in the club. She's in the romance club, the romance yeah. podcast club. We spent five minutes before we started recording talking about our tech issues. So now it's now it's official. <laughs> Julie, welcome, welcome. It is so great to have you. Thank you for having me and thanks for reaching out. Well, we are um, really excited. Uh, we, you're, So your podcast is only, it's only a few weeks old. It's a baby. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> an... <laughs> yes, I think I posted the first one August 18th. I mean, it's, uh, but it's a really gorgeous baby, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> Coming out of the gate strong. <laughs> I think I had always wanted to do interviews, but the idea for coming up with a podcast really just struck me. No, it must have struck me like in May, like in May and then June I started recording. Oh, wow. Yeah, you definitely, you turned it around way faster than we turned ours around. <laughs> it took us months. Um, well, Julie, I'm going to introduce you because I feel like our our um, our listeners should know a little more about who you are and and what you do. Um, this is Julie Moody Freeman, and she is an associate professor of African and Black Diaspora Studies at uh, DePaul, out right near Jen in Chicago. Yes. 
very close. I'm sad it's quarantine times because we're actually so close that in normally I'd be like, when you have 20 minutes, we'll just meet in the middle and have a cup of coffee. Like we're really are my school and DePaul are maybe a mile away from each other. Equally important is she is a self-described uh, romance nerd, which we appreciate. Those are our people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she is, like we said, the host of the Black Romance Podcast, which is Tell me if I'm wrong, Julie, but I I would describe this as an oral history podcast. Is that how you're thinking about it? Yeah, that's exactly how I was thinking about it. I wanted to know everything. I I don't know what it is, but um, from the time I started reading Black Romance, which was right around the 1990s when the first set, at least that I knew of, was coming out with Kensington. Mm. Um, and then there were some, I think, that were may have may have been coming out with um, out out of Odyssey. Um, they were sort mm-hmm. of the indie publishing. Um, and I remember, for some reason, I would love reading them, and I would be going to Wallen Books. That was the place back in the yeah. day, you know, sort of <laughs> waiting. The people knew me <laughs> when they were uh-huh. coming out, and and so. I would always, I I cannot explain why it was I was always, yes, I was interested in the content, but I was, and the stories, but I was also interested in who was publishing them. And and maybe it was because, maybe it was because I was always searching. And like, if I knew who the publishers were, then I could like, just be, you know, looking out for them. Well, so how old were you at this time? I mean, you don't have to say exactly, but like, were you a teenager? Was this when you were in college? Yeah, I was in grad school at the time. Okay. Yeah. So I, I was, um, this was, and again, sort of to get the accent out of the way, I'm from Belize. And so I came, okay. I came to um, do, I had finished junior college in Belize um, and then came to United States to finish up two more years. And so I was still, I was still, I still couldn't uh, go to the bars as yet. <laughs> <laughs> so you settled on romance. <laughs> no, but I think this is. This is really interesting, and it's something that we've talked about uh, a few times on the podcast. But so when you talk about Odyssey, I, when you talk about Kensington, you're uh, you're talking. This is around Arabesque time, right? The launch of Arabesque. Yes, yes. And um, and then Odyssey for those for listeners who aren't familiar with Odyssey, Odyssey was sort of a small press that picked up a bunch of um, the earlier Harlequin when when the sort of earlier. Black romances were coming out in the category lines. Later, they were republished by Odyssey. Is that correct? From what I'm recalling, um, Odyssey was on its own, um, created by Whitney Peoples. And I think even, I think I might have some books on my shelf, even Rochelle Allers wrote Mm, for Odyssey at at one point. I don't think, I don't know that Odyssey was picked up by anybody, but Kensington was picked up by, um, by first BET. And then yep. BET sold it to Harlequin. And so, yeah, that was the kind of stuff I just kept like following, following, following. And the one thing that I do regret is getting rid of my Odyssey books when I was oh. moving. Yeah. I yeah, And yeah. something told me not to throw them away because they're historical. But, I, you know, you are asking me that original question about how, how, why, why the oral history? How did I get into it? And I think it, it budded. That, that was when it was starting. But I always kept. I kept my um, like my romance reading separate from any kind of academic work because I felt the academic would take away my pleasure. Ah, 
you didn't want to research romance. No, I did not. I did not, but I, I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, by it seems like that's a hard thing not to do when you're a natural researcher, right? <laughs> but I kept them apart for many years because I just did not want it to spoil. It was the one thing that I could just sit and just, it could take me away and I didn't have to worry about anything. Sure. I mean, once you turn your hobby into a job, <laughs> it becomes different. I think the other thing is... For especially if we have listeners who are younger, it's really hard to understand how much different romance buying was back in the 90s. Yes. Right? So Julie mentioned Walden Books. It was like Walden Books and B. Dalton. And then like kind of later, Borders, if you were lucky, or Barnes and Noble. If you or had, like, you would go, a- or you would, I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'd go to Books a Million. But it really felt like, um, you know, the idea of like it, having access to everything. And so what you would hope for is if you requested certain kinds of books that your book, you know, the bookseller at your Walden Books would sort of figure out that there was like, okay, someone's going to buy this one and sort of, you know, kind of continue to order them. But it was really hard to get access to everything. So if you had that one bookstore that was going to like, and and for me, a lot of it was used bookstores were a way better. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because then it was like sort of this repository of everybody like, you know, and there was like a actual like huge secondhand market in used books, right? So you would go and there'd be the back room and it would be, you know, like I remember the one I had, it would have like the sign of like the most wanted authors because no one ever wanted to turn in their Sandra Browns or whatever. So it's really interesting how I like think back to that time and think, oh my gosh. And of course I was a white reader it was easy for me to find books by white authors. And I feel like even in the 90s, that funnel for black authors was so much narrower. Yes. Well, and also, Julie, have you heard of, I'm sure you have heard of the Walden Ladies. Jen, have we talked about this on the podcast? We have, the but I don't remember which, with, you know what, when we talked with Steve Amidown, yeah, about Vivian. Oh, Stevens. yeah, because I t- Steve didn't know about them, but uh, apparently in the heyday of romance, which is right when you're talking about Julie, the ni- in the nineties, um, Walden Books had five booksellers from around from stores around the country. So there was like re- from the regions around the country, and these five women were literally referred to by New York Publishing as the Walden Ladies, and they were wined and dined by romance publishers wow. because if these five women liked you and your books they would be picked as like you know front front table books by walden books across the country of course they were all white ladies Uh, (laughs) i did not know that (laughs) yeah and i when you would go to walden books you would have the section like i would walk into it and right at the front would be a shelf that had african-american romance so you know they sort of start started to like sort of and and, it, and they did it at uh, Barnes and Noble and Borders, um, particularly in the areas where I lived. They would have a section, and I would just go to that section. Once uh-huh. if you went to the main romance section, um, I don't know that you necessarily would find African American romance. Yeah, you might find Toni Morrison or something. But so can I ask one more question about like oral histories? Um, because I feel like. The idea of an oral history is a little different than just like an interview. So when you approach the interviews that you've done, I mean, and you've talked to Brenda Jackson and Beverly Jenkins and Vivian Stevens, how do you approach preparing for, I mean, these 
huge names in romance, but also these trailblazers in romance. Is there a kind of preparation you do to, or are you really approaching it with, like, we'll see where it goes? No, it takes, it took me, it took me hours to come up with the questions. Um, Mm. You know, I couldn't, I, I, I would be spending late at night, just like four or five hours because I wanted to make sure that I, um, that I sort of understood everything about uh, who they were, even in terms of what they, what they used to read. And, and it's interesting, I have not released the, um, I have one with Alyssa Cole, which will come out on Tuesday. And it's interesting to, I'm glad that I asked those questions about what were their reading habits because you can you're able to to see how those are shaping some of their writing too um and that you you'll see it a lot when you listen to alisa cole um Mm -hmm. into how she does romance but she's also doing the um mystery paranormal i guess you could call it um, call it that right and so she branches out into all these areas um, you could really see that. And so it took me like really hours. And um, I do feel sorry for people who come on my podcast because they get like two pages of questions. <laughs> and they're, really, they're really surprised, I think. I do I do share it with them before so that they're yeah. not un, um, unprepared. Um, so yeah, so I prepare a lot for it. I make sure like I read, um, I have to read the novels. So that's why I can't produce a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. because I'm doing a lot of preparation in terms of what questions I'm asking them. I have to be familiar with their books, their publishers, so I can know what to ask them. So uh, can we go back to your sort of origin story as a romance reader? Because I'm sort of curious, you start, the podcast begins, episode one is Sandra Kitt, um, who is magnificent. Um, and who, you know, wrote the, was the first black writer at Harlequin, um, in the early eighties. And I wonder if, you know, do you have a, a, a kind of fantasy list in terms of these are the people who I really want to have on the podcast? Did you start with authors who you loved when you came to romance? How, how did you come? Because the first, uh, four people on this podcast are all sort of queens. So... (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm really fascinated by, are these people, are, is this also a fan podcast? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is it, is this podcast you wanted to make when you were 19? Um, actually, no, I did not know when I was 19 because when I was 19, uh, they weren't even published as yet. So, right. So I didn't know that then, but yes, they were, they were some of the first writers that I had read, um, you know, when, when I started reading black romance, but also, you know, I talk about, I talked about, you know, I trying to keep romance and academic life Mm -hmm. apart. Well, I mean, that came kind of crashing together (laughs) (laughs) and and really the research did not, um, it did not diminish my love for romance, you know, it's actually really enhanced it. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm happy for that. But it came, I think it's a combination. I can't say it's an either or. It's a combination of, yes, I read them. I was reading them in the 1990s. But, but also, I've been doing research and writing, um, you know, like chapters um, in books. Um, two anthologies so far published uh, with Eric Selinger, who um, really founded international associate one of the founders of the international association for uh, popular romance studies and so 
because of that, um, I, I think those two lives uh, merged where I thought, you know, I had done, a, um, in particular, um, I had done a chapter in one of um, Eric Selinger's most recent uh, book, The Romance. Um, yeah, I was wondering That's if that right. was the case. Yes. Yeah. And that was exactly the case. So when I started writing and I'm trying to find, okay, what's published? What's the scholarly work that has been done on Black romance? Well, there wasn't. But just because of that didn't mean that nothing was written. And so I'm like, you know, journalism contributed a lot to that. And, but I was trying to piece stuff together. And I think then I realized, oh, you know something? I love, I love listening to podcasts when I'm in the kitchen. There mm-hmm. isn't one at the time I did not know. Like, I'm just like, I can't find any really on um, devoted just to Black romance. And that gives this sort of history that would help somebody like me in trying to figure out, right, trying to figure out what that history is like. And so I think that's what caused it. And so I realized, hey, I was reading some of the... <laughs> the most important women I want to know I want so and so I not only want to know about their books and that I can share it with my students and I can find out things about them but I can build this issue so it's, it's like a lot of things converged at me as a reader loving it mm-hmm. and just being you know this super fan girl <laughs> um, <laughs> so that that is merging along with hey I want this so that people can go back and have this as a record, but I want people to be listening into their kitchen and having, you know, right. and I want people yeah. to know about how hard it was for women. So, so it's all those things sort of converging. So you talked about like your kind of like your work life and your romance reading life converging. And I feel like that's something that happens to so many of us. And it's really fascinating to hear people's stories, like listening to Vivian Stevens talk about sort of how she got her first job in publishing it it was I could have I mean it just felt like fascinating like sitting at the at the foot of your grandmother and having having hit the mood where she just really wants to tell you all the good stuff you know and I it's like such a gift I mean I were you just astounded to be talking to her well it was funny because she said she said I wanted to um like get into public publishing because I fe- felt like I could read more of these books and help. I know <laughs> I was like that's all of us Vivian. Yes, that was so, because that's exactly what romance is. You're trying to find, how can I read it? How can I read it? (laughs) I mean, but she's such a transformational, I mean, without Vivian Stevens, their romance in America does not look the way that it looks. And, um, you know, last season, the last episode of our second season was a deep dive into some of the first books that she edited. Oh, what were those? Well, because she brought that first, that first school of, um, of Harlequin authors together, Harlequin American romance one through five, you know, or I mean, she edited more than that, but that first, the first five were Sandra Kitt, Sandra Brown, Jane Ann Jane Prince, Prince. Um, you know, some Barbara Delinsky, some big, you know, big, big names. Yes. Um, and so we had Steve Amidown on the podcast to who, you know, is category romance. Um, genius Steve Amidon um, came on the podcast to talk about these kind of early books that that Vivian was editing, and we read um, the some of the early ones. and And as part of it, I mean, she really was transforming the genre from the jump. 
with these categories that were sexier, that had really strong working women, that were, that had a real modern sensibility in a way that Mills and Boone didn't. And I know because I have listened to your podcast that you started with Mills and Boone. So you probably, you know, you deeply understand the the evolution through those early Mills and Boone books. I, I started with Mills and Boone too in England. And so it really does feel like Vivian Stevens modernized a genre. That's right. You know, was so lost to us, not lost to us, but so rarely discussed for so long. Yeah. Hidden from us, maybe, yeah, is the yeah, better yeah. word, right? You know, I'd sort of heard this apocryphal story about her, like, overhearing some readers talking about how, like, those books were boring. Mm -hmm. But, like, the idea that this was a woman doing, like, sort of market research, like, on the fly. Like, just Mm -hmm. noticing something, right? The way that people were talking about a set of books and thinking, like, hey, I could be the person that fixes this because no one else wanted to do this job and I'm the perfect person for it. I mean, it was fascinating to to kind of hear her talk about these things and really put them all together. And I just imagine it must have been thrilling for you to be on the phone with her. It was, but it's also it's also fun to see, you know, um, I guess to see the interview uh, through other people's eyes. So mm. as people are, are tweeting it and they're picking the different parts that resonate with them, like that makes yeah. me so happy. And then I go back and I listen to it again and I can see it with new eyes. And that's what I loved. I, I mean, I, I did not know. Now I'm understanding the impact. But really, when I started it, I wasn't necessarily, I was thinking about it in the terms of we need it. Right. I, no, no, I need it. <laughs> I need it, so I'm going to do it. And then hopefully it will help other people to understand. But I, but I didn't I didn't understand that. And that part where people are just like, there are different parts of it that they love. And that makes me so happy because now it's it's a community and each one of us will bring something special. And each each one of us, we won't have the entire story. And that's the hard thing for me when I'm putting together, because I think I'm trying to make sure that I get everything. But there's mm-hmm. only one that's that's like from my perspective. And I think everybody will bring a piece to it that will help us um, in the future. So can I ask, though, of the interviews you've done so far, mm-hmm. what is one thing that really resonated with you? I guess the the one thing that resonated is the joy for reading and the joy mm-hmm. for books. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that, ev- that each one of them has just like me. So that like, like we're all these like romance nerds, book nerds. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and we read... And, and, you know, and they all read wide, widely. So we're not just reading, um, we're, we're not just reading academic books or romance, you know, or black romance or romance that's maybe Latinx or mainstream or, or romance written by white writers. Like we're reading everything. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> history, even, right? Like the historical yeah. writers, they're reading this history. So I think that's probably what it is. It's like this, like this immense love for for books and reading. I'm really happy that you said that, Julie, because often I think, you know, I talk so much and, and we all talk so much about how romance readers are voracious and we read any romance novel that comes across our desk. Um, but I think often about, you know, and I'm I'm 
when we talk about independent bookseller, independent bookstores and the kind of disdain that you can find in certain corners of independent bookstores, often that disdain comes from, well, those are those kind of books for those kind of people and they are not our people. And I think all the time or about the fact that um, my local bookstore in New York City, when they first started carrying romance, I remember one of the managers of the bookstore coming to me and saying, it's really surprising. We can't really believe that they don't buy just romance novels. They buy (laughs) romance in addition to other stuff. And you were like, yeah. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) Because we love reading. Like, just give it to us. And I warn and I warn my students too, you know, that like romance romance readers, they're reading hundreds of pages per week. So Mm -hmm. don't come in not wanting you need to know you need to want to read and know how to read because we're going through hundreds and hundreds because I think people do come in with uh, not not everybody because most people who take my class on romance they come in wow like I've read a romance but some come in not really knowing and maybe not thinking, knowing yeah maybe thinking oh this is going to be an easy or something <laughs> and I'm like, yeah can you talk a little a little more about your class and what it looks like and who you read and how it's structured. I mean, give us and whether I can audit it. Yeah. The full (laughs) romance nerd treatment, please. (laughs) So this um, class is um, on um, romance, women and gender. And I have to be very careful when I teach this class because, because, because it's so broad in terms of romance, women, uh, I'm sorry, romance, women and race is Mm -hmm. is the title of it. And so, um, Every, I think I have women's and gender studies students coming in looking for gender uh, and talking about women. And, um, and then I have my African and black diaspora students who are coming in looking for race. And then, and then I have my romance and usually like from the English department and they're looking for like romance. And mm-hmm. so when they all converge and I'm, and I'm teaching, I'm teaching black romance novels um the first time i taught it everyone was like real possessive and they didn't want to talk about the other thing and it was like real confusion and so the second time i I taught it i teach it not just reading the romance novels but also digging into digging into background and history and we do we do three things we look at um we do deep um sort of close reading literary analysis but we also talk about production and political economy, we talk about, you know, the time in which it's published, because that that affects a lot, particularly like students will be like um, in issues of consent, um, where the issues of, and I'll name the books in a minute, which will kind of, you know, give like certain examples, uh-huh. so you'll know. So we, we talk about that. And, um, and then we talk about audience reception. So we kind of come at it from many different directions. And so I will use books like, for example, I use Sandra Kitts. Um, uh, oh my heaven, I, I talked about it in the, in the actual podcast. Um, right, so Serenade was the first one. I don't teach that one, I teach the one with Christine. So, um, so it's suddenly, I, I teach that one. I teach, I teach Beverly Jenkins, um, Forbidden. Um, I teach that one and that's, that's, that's the one that I definitely have to go into history because as I, um, as I talk about in the podcast with Beverly Jenkins, um, a lot of the time students want to do a paper on interracial romance 
And mm. we have to, I learned that I had to define what, what I meant in terms of race, what, what, what we oh, mean in terms of passing, right, and the difference. And so now with, with this particular class, I, I teach the romance novels, but we, we also sort of look at history. Yeah. Um, we look at history. I teach Alyssa Cole, um, Duke by Default. So we talk about that and we talk about immigration, Brexit. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. In that, in that one, issues of consent comes up also um, because of because he's her boss, really. Right. And they're having a relationship. So that comes a lot in terms of my women's and gender studies students. So where do you begin? How do you center them in romance? What I do is my first, like the for the first book, I do the teaching because um, in my class, students have to make presentations. And mm. so I start out very much with this sort of three-prong approach when I'm teaching them where we do close readings and then I'll pick a theme, something that's going on in the book, um, and I'll present on it and talk about, you know, some type of like, like, for example, with Sandra Kitt, with Suddenly, we talk about um, the 1990s and HIV AIDS. Oh, right. Right. And then, and then, and then we talk, and then, um, so I talk about that, and then I bring in audience reception and what, you know, how are people responding to things that are going on? Um, and that's beautiful because now online, you can get all that stuff, you know, from Amazon, right. from Goodreads. Yeah. Well, it's so rooted in pop culture in so many ways, and I think... For a lot of people, they're not aware of this sort of like track that is romance, right? That's constantly running along and talking about pop culture and and commenting on like what's going on in the world. And it feels like that would be, you're teaching my dream class, Julie. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And we bring in, of course, um, writers, the interviews from the writers. And Mm. then, and then I, I, once I do that and I set that tone for the class, and they realize that they can bring their perspectives, but it also needs to sort of be grounded in not just like personal um, opinion, um, because that's important and, and whether we like it or not, but it's all, it, we also have some meat to it where we're talking about history or we're talking about the time in which it was written. So for example, a big one, I have another interview that will come up in the podcast in a couple of weeks with Gwendolyn, Gwendolyn, uh, well, Gwyneth, Gwyneth Bolton. Um, who is okay. Gwendolyn Pugh, uh, Pugh, who uh, teaches at um, University of Syracuse, I think, or Syracuse University. And um, she has a book, um, Sweet Sensation. Um, no, Make It Last Forever. Make It Last Forever, <laughs> in which a particular scene happens um, with uh, somebody who wants to call the police on, who wants to call the police on a child who is, uh, peddling drugs in a youth center and the class has this huge debate over it the book was written like in the early 2000 way uh-huh. before ferguson right yeah and so we have like these wonderful discussions well they get really heated actually <laughs> because you know they're like don't call the police or you shouldn't right. but you have to protect the and, and the class is like going at each other and we then that is when production and political economy comes into it where we talk about the time in which it was produced right and right. how we're looking at it from this current perspective not not that you know, that, that has happened a lot, um, has always happened, you know, for, um, 
in terms of you know the the tension between black communities and the police um, has always happened but 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 the moment of ferguson and and going forward right is a way for us to think about it and look back at when it was written so if we had a with with um Gwendolyn Pugh we had a wonderful interview um and I can't wait for it to come out because we're we're talking about what what she's she's sort of reflecting back on that and what she I won't tell you what she said because I want you all to listen to the Black Romance <laughs> podcast listen, right it's very smart <laughs> but Save it's, it for the yes 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 I'm a little teaser but but it's, <laughs> it's a great discussion and it's the same type of discussions I'm having in class and I'm getting all excited now because that's the exact excitement that I have. I have chill, chill bumps, goosebumps. <laughs> uh, I have that because that's the kind of joy that I have in class to be able to bring these books and see how writers are dealing with some important, important issues. It feels so much. I love what Vivian Stevens talked about in her podcast where she said, you know, these little books, she calls them these little books, yeah, but that's how people books. think about them, right? Like they're not important, yeah. but these little books transform people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to be quiet now because I'm, <laughs> no, no I'm we so- love it. We love it. <laughs> I mean, I think that there's something so powerful about and and you keep coming back to joy. You've said it so many times and and as you know, we're that's what we're focusing on for the next few months on the podcast. Um because there is something so kind of subversive about um having these texts reflecting a world around us and also providing us an avenue toward not just reader joy but an awareness that joy is that we have a capacity for joy even in these challenging times right. yeah yeah definitely what else can you preview who are some of the other people so you mentioned Alyssa Cole and Gwendolyn I can't remember Gwyneth Bolton Gwyneth Bolton um who are some of the other f- folks? You, I mean, so it sounds like, you know, it's not just historically sort of these, you know, like scions of romance, but also people who are like, you know, doing, making romance happen now. So are there people you're really hoping to interview? Are you, do you have a bunch of things lined up? Can you talk about that at all? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to end the season very soon. Um, okay. So that I can do more research. There are other people that I, I definitely wanted to, to talk with. I want to talk to Shirley Hillsock. I want mm-hmm. to talk to Donna Hill, right? Yeah. I, I, I want to talk to Rochelle Allers. Yeah. Um, and I, somebody helped me to make, actually Vivian Stevens helped me to make that contact. So we're kind of working on that right now. But it's a very, uh, it, it, it's sort of exciting but frustrating because, you know, sure. I am an administrator, I'm a teacher, I have to do service, I have to do all that, and I can't move fast enough. We have been talking for the last few years about the fact that romance is really special in that we we can still reach back and touch the kind of beginnings of American romance. Yes. Obviously, not so much the rest of the globe, but um, but we are, for lack of a better f- uh, phrase, we are losing th- the women who who started. Um, you know, they're getting older, and and several of them. I mean, I think about um, well, Rosalind Wells obviously is is gone, and um, I eight- would have loved to have interviewed Frances Ray. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, Eva Rutland. 
you know, it would be really remarkable to be able to record them and get their voices. Right. Um, and there are, you know, there are so many kind of quiet um, you know, voices that are no longer with us. Right. Um, and and it does feel I've one of the joys of having your podcast is that it feels like you are you are really working hard to collect as many of them as you can. That's what I want right. to do. And so I will I will try um, and all, you know, the names Francis Ray's no longer with us. But yeah. um, but 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 Donna Hill and Shirley Hillstock and Rochelle Allers and I'm going to definitely keep trying to sort of build that history. So I I will definitely um, reach out to everybody I can. But also one of the things that um, in terms of my research is I love to look at the this this sort of intergenerational link between writers. Mm. Um, and so that's why I also included, you know, Rebecca Witherspoon and Alyssa Cole, and I will continue to build an oral history that, that links different right. generations of writers and, and start to think my research also wants to, um, sort of look at the ways in which they connect or they're expanding right or as some new generation will do i'm um, particularly because i do women's and gender studies i'm always thinking about um gender politics and mm -hmm. and the body and the ways in which maybe women in the 1990s for example brenda jackson how she talks about marriage and i think yeah i mean that's to me yes if if you're a, like a longitudinal romance reader i i think the way in which romance reflects like how society changes our ideas of those things that impact women's lives so much in particular is fascinating and it really is like a time capsule in a way and I think not just like the books that they create but to talk to women who were there when it was happening and hear their stories I mean it really is it's such a gift I mean I I just feel like we are in a golden, I feel like sort of this like golden age of romance podcasting, maybe because it's just starting, but like to get these voices. And I, I just think a lot about how as a young reader, I would have just been oh, amazed to have access to them as people, not just their, their work, but you know, their stories. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, the work is, is really endless and exciting um, and there's just not enough time in the day, <laughs> but I'm going to do my best as yeah. long as I possibly can. I don't know how long I can sustain it, but I will try. And what I well, don't do, somebody else will definitely do because there are a yeah. lot of people doing good mm -hmm. work. So can we talk a little bit about uh, being 11 and finding <laughs> romance novels? Because Jen and I both were pretty young when we found romance novels. I was also 11. So... I'd love to hear a little bit about um, where you started and how romance became a part of your DNA. Yeah, all I can remember about 11 is I could, I heard my mom uh, whispering with the neighbor about <laughs> some, and it, it probably, it's one of those thin, it was one of those thin, I think maybe Mills and Boons or something. And, and the guy was probably like from New Zealand or something. Mm. <laughs> They're always from New Zealand. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think I remember it was something for, it felt forbidden. I don't know if it yeah. was, I, it felt forbidden and I could hear her like talking with the neighbor about who this guy. <laughs> and so of course I snuck it and I read it and that was pretty much it. And then, in, yeah, and then at that time, I think I, 
I had just, I was just starting high school, 11, 12, yeah. So I was just going to start high school. And so when we were in high school, I don't, I'm not sure who got the Barbara Cartland, but like <laughs> we would pass them around. Um, and that, and that was probably it. Um, and maybe, maybe borrowing from the library, but everything was sort of bothered, you know, and then, and then I, and then after that, um, I don't remember much the other part of it, I, because, because I can't remember if I stopped, but the other part of it then is when I moved to North Carolina for grad school. I, I didn't read it when I was in college. Mm. I read it when I was in grad school. And I was just, I, I mean, I, like I read, uh, because there were no black romance. So I read everybody really, you know, like I'm, I was reading Nora Roberts and Jude Devereaux, mm -hmm. um, who are like my favorites. Julie Garwood is my favorite. Julie Garwood. Right. Jen's favorite there. Yes. Really oh yes. <laughs> uh, last night after we heard the news about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I was like, what's going to make me feel things? Julie Garwood. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, Lisa Kleypas is also my favorite. But anyway, yeah. But but I guess that that that's what the eleven was. And I and I was reading everything at eleven, right? So I wasn't reading yeah. when I didn't have romance. I was just I was reading the condensed milk uh, words <laughs> on the, <laughs> the yeah. words. You know, like everything. I was just devouring. I used to like, of course, Nancy Drew. And mm -hmm. Hardy Boys. Mm -hmm. And then there was this in Blyton had this adventures series. And I would get that for my birthday from my godmother. And so I was always reading these sort of the adventures by in Enid Blyton. Um yeah. So that was sort of my early years of reading. And do you now I mean I, I'm I I feel like I know the answer to this, but do you are you do you read romance for fun still? Are you still a, a voracious romance reader? Yes, yes. And are there tropes that you really love? Are there things that really scratch your itch? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know tropes. Uh, maybe if we talk more, but but I know um, favorite writers, um, mm, particularly yeah. like I I like fantasy, paranormal. Mm -hmm. um, but 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 I'll read a cowboy and I'll read a sports romance. I'll, I'll read anything. So I'm Karen. This Karen, checks out. Yeah, yeah Karen Marie. True romance nerd here. <laughs> yeah, Karen like, Marie Morning is my is one of my favorites. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I really love her books and I'm waiting patiently, impatiently for her <laughs> next you know next uh, book to come out next year. Um, so right um, right now I well. I read, um, you know, Katrina Jackson's mm -hmm. um, sure. Office Hours. She, her book really had me stay up till two. I was really tired. <laughs> so I'm fascinated by that because I feel like it's hard for me to read books that are like about someone who has my job. And Office Hours is about academia. academia. Oh, that was what, that attracted that, me. That's what drew you in. Yes. <laughs> we found it. We found the trope. <laughs> I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember, but that, oh my God, I love, oh, and there's a Lisa Kleypas book. Um, hold on, hold on just a minute. Let me tell you. I have it. Julie Moody Freeman singing our song. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> She's like, wait. Suddenly you. Oh, oh it's one of our one. favorites. Yeah, that one's great. Because it's about books. Because he's uh, a bookseller. It is. And she writes. So, like, I just love that so much. Uh, 
30, turning 30, still a virgin. Yes. Oh. yes. She's got to get some, get it done to her. But the thing is, but I think, you know, now that I'm talking to you, I realize mm-hmm. what I like the most about certain books. If the guy, if the hero is absolutely, there's no doubt in the mind that he adores, mm-hmm. he adores the heroine. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like anyone who seems conflicted or, <laughs> and don't go out with somebody else. Yeah. Because, uh, because then that turns me off. You've got sure. to be totally devoted to the heroine. Yeah. Right. Like they have to realize she's the best thing that ever happened to them. You know, like there's tension and stuff and sometimes there's an outside conflict, but it's not a conflict where he is another girl or something. Right. No, that's not going to work for me. (laughs) And so that's why I like, I also, you know, uh, my favorite is Harbor by Rebecca Witherspoon. Mm -hmm. Because what I tell my students, for me, it's about love. So whether, whether it's a heterosexual right whether you it's a partners to women or to men or two men and one woman as it is in harbor yeah. the beauty about it is that that they're working on their relationship and they're communicating and they're devoted to each other and they're not like divided right um yeah by something or someone else those are the things that i really like Right. When they like band together against like some outside conflict and then, it, you know, you're like teamwork makes the dream work. And, there, and that doesn't, I mean, like, you know, like uh, I like Joey Hill. Um, Joey Hill. Have you read any of her books? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I sure. love a Joey Hill novel <laughs> because <laughs> I really, I well, she has a, she has a couple that have um, alpha submissive heroes, which I really love, which actually sort of tracks to what you were saying, the sort of totally devoted hero you know even in her in i mean she writes a sexy book yes very <laughs> very and and it doesn't mean that there won't be conflict you know or there or troubles it won't be perfect but but you're willing to work it out and willing to talk it out <sighs> yeah <laughs> exactly exactly that's right that that's all correct <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure how I got there. Uh, well, that's the best way. Just let's just talk about romance novels till we're down the rabbit hole. <laughs> um, well, Julie, this was really fantastic. We are. I'm so happy to have had you on. Will you come on again and talk about books you love with us? I would love to do that. That would be really fun. We are thrilled to have Julie Moody Freeman with us today. Please subscribe to the Black Romance Podcast. We will put links in show notes. Um, These are remarkable interviews that just tell an incredible story. Um, And we're so grateful um, that you have made time for us, Julie. Thanks so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. I always have fun talking about romance. Yes. (laughs) You know what I was thinking that whole time? What? Julie has really nailed the podcasting thing. When you start a podcast, everyone says to you, oh, you have to make sure that it's something that doesn't exist already in the world because then you're just competing with some other person doing the same thing. And what she's doing is so important, but also no one's doing it. I want her to come on again and talk. I want her to do Hot for Teacher Romances with us. I mean, interviews are great, but it feels like an oral history is really asking someone to like dig into 
their place in like a bigger world. Yeah. And I think that that's why like this is such a gift because these are, and I mean, I'm really excited to hear too. And I didn't realize this, right? Like so far we've only heard her really interviewing sort of these, the people who have been here around for a long time in Black Romance. Yeah, juggernauts. And so, yes. And so to hear her say that she has Alyssa Cole and Rebecca Weatherspoon and, right, some of the people that she has coming up and to know that it's not just romance then, it's romance now too. And I'm fa- I cannot wait to listen to those women talk about their influences. One of the podcasts I listen to that is not about romance is called Hit Parade, and it's about pop music. And I love listening to people talk about sort of like how a hit comes into being and all of the influences on it and the people that worked on it. And it feels like we're now, there's so many romance podcasts doing such interesting work that we're like building this net, right? Of all the ways in which these stories interlock and overlap and who talked to who. And it just feels like this amazing project. Podcasts are a gift to romance, I think. Um, in large part because, as she talked about, you know, academics haven't for so many years been covering it. Media hasn't been covering it. So we're it. covering it ourselves, right? Book sections at newspapers haven't been covering it. So, yeah, now we get to do it ourselves. I think so much about um, talking to Jane Ann Krentz about dangerous men, adventurous women back in the day and why they did it and how she was like, well, there was one study of romance that became a book that we felt didn't actually tell the story of romance. So the authors all got together and did this. They like had, it was like the early podcasting. <laughs> and I think that's what, that's what's happening now. And uh, anyway, I'm really excited. I'm a subscriber every Tuesday now. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to Black Romance Podcast, get my history on and you know what else? There's so many romance podcasts now. There's some. There's something for everyone, and it's it's awesome. It feels like a a great time. You know, we should this season make sure that we have like our favorites on. Well, we are gonna have Danny from Ice Planet Pod on. No spoilers. <laughs> and we're having Jenny back on for something. I too. like to think of it as foreshadowing, Sarah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it's blue. <laughs> and- and they have tails. <laughs> it's barbed, everybody. That's all you really need to know. Um, of course, we turned it dirty. Wait, Ice Planet Barbarians is the one where, like, the they have it has the thing that comes out and like yeah. cleans up, right? <laughs> I think it's more like it tickles two places at once. Eric's gonna be like, this episode took a turn, <laughs> as always. You all were very professional, and then it just went south. Which means our our episode with Danny is probably going to be amazing, right? Yeah. So there it is, <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> all right. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, find us at fatedmates.net. And stay safe out there. Be kind to yourselves. <laughs>